Colossians chapter 3 verses 12 to 17. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. Even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And as heaven and earth may pass away, we know God's holy, inerrant Word will never pass away. You know, one of the things that's quite unique to this letter of Colossians is that only once in the entirety of this letter does he make any reference to the person of the Holy Spirit which is quite unique because usually in all of his letters there is a pronounced uh, uh, placement of the person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, in his work in bringing forth the graces of the Lord in our lives. You go to uh, chapter 1, verse 8, and there Paul references the Spirit as the root cause of the love that these Colossians do have for one another. And he is pleased, as he says there, when he gets the report from Epaphras, he he hears of their love in the Spirit. And I draw our attention to that, that point about the Spirit because what we are looking at in the way of of being that new man in Christ. What we heard last week about having to mortify and put to death the things of the flesh and put off the things that belong to that old man and put on that new man. The reality is that that is what the Spirit is doing in our lives. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that so enables us to put on that new man and and the the to bring forth the reality of that union we have with Christ and, and so i bring our attention to the holy spirit because as as we talk about what it is to display that character of Christ it's not us just having a particular power of our own. It's that constant working of the Spirit. And the outworking of that new man, and bringing these definitions to you again, is first of all, mortification. Putting to death sinful lusts and passions of the heart. But it doesn't stop there. And, and this is what you have to appreciate about the wisdom of the Spirit in communicating God's Word. He doesn't tell us just to put something to death or stop doing this. He doesn't just simply lay out the things that ought not to be part of our life. He comes and says to us now, here's what must replace these things. And you think about 
what Jesus said about that man who comes and sweeps clean his house and it just lies empty. And, and he says, and in that case, if it just lies empty, you know what's going to happen? Seven more demons are going to come in and take over. It's clean and ripe for Satan to come in and work if all you're doing is trying to put off things. You have to put on that new man. And again, this is the work of the Spirit. It's what, what is known as vivification. <laughs> you give you these long words, but so that you can have a theological uh, uh, definition to it. It's bringing to life the holy and godly person of Christ within us. And, and this is a constant thing that we are doing in, in that power and strength of the Holy Spirit. We are, as, as our catechism says about sanctification, we are not just simply putting to death the old man, putting to death sin, and bringing to life righteousness in that grace of the Spirit's work. But with all of that, what is happening is we are being renewed in the whole man after the image of Christ. That's what Paul said. If you back up again to verse 10, we've put on, we have put on the new man renewed in knowledge according to the image of Him who created Him. Who created us? The Lord Jesus, chapter 1. That's already been clearly established. And now we're being recreated in His image in knowledge. And the Holy Spirit is implicit to this work. And it's a good thing because left to ourself, it's like that child that we say, go and clean your room and they go off to clean their room. And what has to happen to ensure that they're cleaning the room? That they haven't sat down and picked up their phone and started just perusing a bunch of videos. You have to keep coming in and checking on them and saying, have you done it? Have you done it? Have you done it? And something so simple as keeping your room clean is one of the daily demanding tasks that parents still have to have oversight over. Well, you, you apply that here to the work of the Spirit. Uh, it's essential. Uh, he's implicit to this work. Coming again and again and again daily to say, put off, put on, be renewed. And, and where we see this in the bulk of, of Paul's letters, you'll see him always using this this image of getting rid of the old and putting on the new. You cannot and you will not die to sinful lusts, idolatry and pride, and you cannot nor will you bring to life the character of Christ that we're going to be seeing here in these verses without the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And that's where the Lord Jesus, when He uh, 
speaks to us about the fervency of prayer. You can go to Luke 11 and to Matthew 7, and he will say, he, he says to us there where, where we are to ask and, and to seek and to knock, and he, he goes on to use that illustration of, of a father who knows how to give good gifts to his children, and he likens our Heavenly Father to the greater one who will give us the good things that we need, and particularly in Luke, Luke 11, where he speaks there of uh, how much more will the Father give you of the Spirit? And it's Jesus' way of saying that one of the key things that you need to be asking for on a daily basis, dear Christians, is, Father, fill me with your Spirit. (laughs) Fill me with your Spirit. I've said it before, but you probably have forgotten it, but it's an old story. Uh, D.L. Moody, uh, famous evangelist of uh, the uh, late 19th century, uh, often prayed that. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. And somebody went up to him and said, why do you keep asking God to fill you with, with His Holy Spirit? And he, tongue in cheek, he was a very large man, he said, because I leak. I leak. <laughs> and we do. And, 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 and I say this, I impress this upon you, that it is not wrong to say every day, God, fill me with your Spirit today. That, that I may walk in a way that brings glory to Christ. That I may be made more and more, renewed more and more in the whole man after the image of Christ. When we have that Spirit at work in us, and that fullness of the Spirit, He's going to work. He's going to impress upon your conscience things that you encounter every day more and more clearly. And the thing, the other thing as we come to verses 12 to 17 that I think is important to keep in our mind is as, as we have argued about the grace of Christ that we walk in and how we need to be guarded that our faith does not become a religion of do's and don'ts. What we're meaning is we don't walk with a checklist, I'm a good Christian if I do this, do this, do this, and if I don't do this and don't do this, or I, I am saved and I know I'm saved by what I do. We, we don't walk according to that. But as we come here in chapter In chapter 3, you can't help but see that we are confronted with a do and don't list of the Christian faith. (laughs) But these are are about character. Not, Not simply about what we are doing, whether we drink or whether we watch something that is maybe inappropriate or whether we go to movie theaters or have a TV or those those material things. This list of do's and don'ts is about Christian character. And, and if we're going to make a checklist of anything, here it is before us. Is this real in my life? Is this something that has been put away of necessity because it's sin in my life? And here in this list, we come to verse 14, that's the theme of this message, that Paul says, above all things, put on love, 
which is the bond of perfection. Love, verse 14, which I would say is the summation of what he addresses in verses 12 and 13. That when we begin to, to put on those tender mercies and kindness and humility, meekness, etc., etc., what we are doing is, is putting on that love of Christ, which He calls here the bond of perfection. That Paul here is looking about how we as God's people and we as the church are demonstrating to this world a holy other than that does not exist in this world of unity and bondedness in the love of Christ. And that's why he says, put on love. Here's the bond of perfection. Now, you may be thinking, okay, another message about love. We hear about love. But you know, the thing is, love, love is the key message of the Christian life. It really is. Love is the second key character of God demonstrated toward us. The first being holy. It's a reality we need to hear on an ongoing basis. You think about how Scripture presents to us the wonder of love. Love is the chief wonder of God's grace to us. John brings that out in 1 John 3 when he says, Behold, and he's just sitting back. His mind is just overwhelmed. Look at the love the Father has for us. That He would take this this wretched sinner and in His Son make us a child of God. How amazing is that to your heart? It's the chief wonder of His grace. That that he, He would pluck this brand out of the fire and say, You are going to be My child for all eternity. Isn't that amazing? Love is also the summation of the fruit of the Spirit. When you consider all the character virtues of the fruit of the Spirit, love stands first because it envelops everything that follows after. Our joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, those are all flowing out of love that has been poured out in us by the Holy Spirit. It's the summation of that fruit. If you are, are, are being patient and kind and good, it, it, you come back to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 1-3. You can show these things in an outward way, but if love isn't there, it's fruitless, profitless, it's worthless. So it's the summation of the fruit of the Spirit. And, and the reason that fruit of the Spirit is given, again, you go to Galatians 5, and you look uh, where the fruit of the Spirit comes out in verses 22 and 23. Paul sets that as that which the Spirit uses to war against the lust of the flesh. I bring that because here... Colossians 3, Paul is expanding on what he wrote in Galatians chapter 5. 
the lusts of the flesh, war against the Spirit. And the Spirit against that. How does the Spirit war against what He lists there? Things like uh, fornication, uncleanness, passions, evil desires, covetousness, idolatry, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language. How does He war against all these things? Lying. He plants in us that fruit. (laughs) Love being the chief. And from that, a joy and peace, and patience and kindness, etc. It's warring against our old man. And of course, as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, love is the greatest virtue in the Christian life. When we realize the love that the Father has for us and the love of Christ demonstrated in dying in our place and the love that the Spirit has in bringing us that new life and dwelling within us till we are glorified. (laughs) That love of God poured out in us is the greatest virtue by which we walk. It sustains our faith and our hope in God. And we also know, and I bring this to your attention as we move on here, because Paul is talking in verses 12, actually in this whole chapter, but specifically in these verses 12 down to verse 25. He's talking about how we demonstrate love in our relationships with one another in the church. When he calls it the bond of perfection, he's saying, he's saying what Jesus said when Jesus said the summary of those last six commandments, the summary of His second table of the law where you honor mother and father, where you do not murder, where you do not commit adultery and do not steal and do not bear false witness and, and you do not covet. What is the summary of those commandments? Love one another. That's what he said. You are to love your neighbor as yourself. Even more in Christ. In 1 John 13, it becomes even greater than that because Christ has taken that summation of those commandments and He has made it new when He says, Love your neighbor as I have loved you. You see, this is why He calls it the bond of perfection. In the midst of this church, what is going to seal us and bind us together as God's people? It's love. You think about it in Matthew 19, when that rich young ruler came up to Jesus and said, Good Master, what must I do to gain eternal life? And we know that whole account. I I like Mark's uh, rendition a little bit because there Mark says, and Jesus loved this young man and said, if you want to be perfect. And I I believe uh, Paul here is, is also building on that. If you want to be perfect, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor and follow me. 
As you, you step back and you think, what was Jesus saying to him? The bond of perfection is loving your neighbor as yourself. You want to be perfect? Look to your neighbor's needs. Love your neighbor. He went away sorrowful. Love for one another is that bond of perfection. It's not easy, is it? <laughs> Nothing in, in that respect of the Christian life is, is easy. It's simple to say, but it's difficult to do. And that's why Paul begins, first of all, with the church in verses 12 to 17. And then he moves to the Christian home and husbands and wives and parents and children and fathers and, and their children and then to the bond servants and their masters. I know we always put that over into issues of employment and, and employee-employer relationships, but that's really the house of faith, the family. Now that's where the relationships need to be demonstrated. And that's also, is it not true, the hardest places to demonstrate the depth of love. But he's telling us here that you need this love as it's detailed in verses 12 and 13 to work against those selfish, hard tempers to bind you together. Love is that bond of perfection that you are called to put on. And it begins, first of all, in seeing how we are, are bound in the Father's mercies. That word, therefore, verse 12, starts it off. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. This is Paul's way of saying, okay, before we go into what you must do, step back and know your your relationship with the Father. Know who you are. And see how God has bound you by His mercies. What He has done for you. Even before you attempt to demonstrate love to your neighbor, step back and remember the Father's mercies to you. Humility always begins here. As the elect of God, do you realize what it means to be chosen in Christ? Because as Paul would say back in Ephesians chapter 1, which is a parallel letter to this, but he would say back then in verse 4, just as He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. And, and when Paul begins here with, with the mercies of God, he's saying, do you realize what it is to be loved by God? <laughs> God's love toward you in election is the foundation and reason for the cross. God would not have sent His Son if there was no one to save. (laughs) 
and what God has done from before the foundation of the world is He has said, I will put My love upon the elect. I have chosen you from eternity past to be the ones to receive all of my eternal love. Isn't that amazing? My friends, humility always begins there. Because God, as some would like to say it, because they they deny God's electing graces. They deny God's predestining love because they think it offensive to human reasoning. My goodness, our reasoning is offensive to God. We would not accept God's grace if He did not choose to love us to begin with. That's the simple truth. And it isn't that God is looking down in the course of all of history that He has mapped out and said, oh look, there's a spark of goodness in that person right there. I know if they are spoken to about what my son does did for them on the cross, that they will believe. I can see that spark of goodness in them. They're going to believe. Do we think that that is true? Then we are saying that our salvation rests pointedly on that spark of goodness that could be seen in us. But what does God's Word say? There is none who are good. No, not one. God loved us before we were created. Chose us from before the foundation of the world. And because of that, He purposed to send His Son to redeem us. How do you know the Father has loved you? How do you see the Father's love revealed toward you? My friends, it always comes back to the cross of Jesus Christ. When He sent His only begotten and beloved Son to take our place in death that we might live through Christ. Jesus, as John would write in 1 John 4, and and this is again in keeping with this context of, of us loving one another, of loving our neighbor as Christ has loved us. Listen to what He says in 1 John 4. Beloved, let us love one another For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And how do you know God is love? And then he goes on in verses 9 and 10 to to show us. In this we know God is love. His love was manifested toward us. That God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live for Him, through Him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us. You see, we, we have to begin with God. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Paul's saying the same thing here. That bond of perfection begins when we know who we are. 
loved by God. The elect of God. And what the Father is doing through His Son to make us holy and beloved. It's, it's one of the things that I find most amazing, again, when I read John 17, is that Jesus' prayers that we would know and realize that the Father loves us now just as He loves His Son. It's amazing, isn't it? Oh, that they would know this. The Father has bestowed on you the divine love He has for His Son and thus has bound you in His mercies to be a reflection of that love to one another. And we still find it hard (laughs) because the the hard part comes as we move beyond that to see how we are clothed in Christ's graces. And again, I remind you, you we, we can do a lot of things without sincerity. As Paul mentions, we can have an exercise of faith. We can give charitably. We can even speak kind words and not have love. Isn't that that profound to stop and think? (laughs) He's writing to Christians. He's not talking about the world outside the church. He's talking about in the church. But these graces, again, are a common theme of Paul about the new man that we are. How we have to be clothed in Christ's graces. We, we have to, as Paul said in Romans thirteen fourteen, we have to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. You see, this comes as the response to what has been put to death. Here's what has to be brought to life. And what does it mean to put on the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, you look at verse 12. And, and, and I separate these because I, I see verse 12 as the inward graces of Christ. Things that deal with the motives of our hearts. Because that's where God looks first, isn't it? What is behind your reason for loving. And you look in verse 12, tender mercies. I, I love the King James in this one. Bowels of mercy. <laughs> it's strange language. But it shows you that when we read about the, the heart in the scriptures, they're not talking about our affections. In, in, in Old Testament and New Testament times, when they started to talk about their affections, they always spoke of their bowels, which meant the inward organs, um, the places where, where we demonstrate our love in intimate ways. And so they would swear by that. You know, Strange to us, but I'm glad we replaced it with heart. Okay? I am I'm truly thankful. But what he's getting at is have tender, have affectionate mercy. This is where you want to show mercy. And what does that mercy look like? I can think of no better place than for us to consider Psalm 103. Because again, this is a reflection of Christ. 
What does the, the tender mercy of Christ look like toward us? And you go to Psalm 103 and, and verses 8 to 9. The Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger. <laughs> does that describe us in our mercies? I know as a parent I can say I failed many times in that. I want to be merciful, but oh! <laughs> He's slow to anger. Abounding in mercy. He doesn't hold back. He doesn't put conditions. I will be merciful. He does not keep His anger forever. He's not dealt with us according to our sins. He's not punished us according to our iniquities. And you, you go down even further. Verse 13. He pities His children. He pities those who fear Him. Why? Because He remembers we are creatures of dust. <laughs> We're sinners. <laughs> And one of the things about having having affectionate mercy is stepping back and realizing that even Christians are still yet sinners in this life. And they're going to offend. Not always on purpose. And oh, we need that, that love to cover a multitude of sins. And kindness... Kindness is about the motive of doing good to someone. And again, how hard this is. How many, and listen to what Jesus said in Luke 6.35. He says, do good. Be kind. Lend without hoping for anything in return. <laughs> and you will be sons of the Most High. For the Father is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father is. Boy, that's hard, isn't it? <laughs> Can you do that in your own strength? Well, we know, rhetorical question. Holy Spirit, fill me today, <laughs> that I may be kind. Humility. Thinking less of ourselves. Romans 12.3, Philippians 2, 1-4, looking and, and not putting our agenda to everything. Humility that says, I will not think more highly of myself than I should. Lowliness, the lowliness of Christ that helps us to rightly regard our souls and to guard our soul from that selfish ambition. Meekness. You see why I say these are the inward graces. They're addressing the heart's motive, meekness, a gentle, mild grace that is not pushing one's self, that is not bearing on others' consciences to, to get one's own way. Blessed are the meek and long-suffering. I always think when Moses asked to, to see the glory of God. God said, I will show you my glory. I'm going to hide you in a rock. I'm going to pass by and I'm going to declare my name. And what's the one of the first things he says about himself is that I am long-suffering. And what is that long-suffering? That's the Lord saying to Moses that I am patiently enduring the unrepentant souls of my people. 
Does it take you long to repent? You need humility to do that, don't you? But on the flip side, when we are dealing with relationships in the church, do you know why you need long-suffering? Because you know in your heart, it's hard to repent. It's hard to admit guilt and fault and to be humble in that way. But isn't that how God is with us? Waiting and waiting for us to come and say, Father, forgive me. So you see what love is all about. The inward motives of our heart. And then with this, in verse 13, the outward graces of Christ. Bearing. Forgiving. We're bearing with one another. That is, we're ensuring that love does not disappear in my actions toward you. And there's a lot that can work against that. But here, O oh Lord, as you bore with your, your disciples, your apostles, how many times? Oh, you of little faith. Oh, where did your faith go? Why are you afraid? Oh, Peter, you're going to fall. No, Peter, you're going to fall. You're going to fall. But I'm going to bear with you. I'm going to pray for you. You, you, you see, that, that Christly love exercising its way and forgiving. And, and this, is, this is the highest of it all. When we forgive one another even as Christ forgave you, forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive! <laughs> My friends, there is nothing within our relationships that we are justified in holding any kind of grudge or malice against one another for. And that's a bold statement to make, I know. But when we step back in comparative to Christ and to all that has been forgiven us by Him, so we must do. Our hearts must never carry the bitterness of grudges or malice against each other. It does not belong in the heart that Christ has redeemed. That's hard. But there is where love comes. And there's where we heard from Proverbs chapter 10. Love covers a multitude. And love is the highest demonstration of Christ alive within our souls. That's why Paul calls it the bond of perfection. Because it reveals Christ in us. Let us pray.